Welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name's James Gill. I am the MC at the multi-award-winning comedy nights, Always Be Comedy. I'm joined, as always, by my comedy husband, Always Be Comedy's very own, Tim Lewis. Hello, Tim Lewis. Hello, James Gill. The Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a guest and they curate what would be their dream comedy gig. Who would open? Who would close? What sort of gigging nightmare that they've experienced must not, under any circumstances, happen at this fantasy comedy gig? It's all this and so much more. And by so much more, we often mean quite a lot of gossip. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. We're joined today by the great Desiree Birch. Tim, powerhouse performer, charisma to burn, uh, funny bones, natural performer, could only be a comedian. Uh, We we have a lot of love for Desiree. And Tim, dare I say it, the feeling is reciprocated. She shows tremendous warmth towards Always Be Comedy. Oh, she's very sweet with us, yeah. Desiree Hang on, Birch. sorry, I apologise. I'm saying that like everyone else hates our guts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's nice to have the one person <laughs> with our back. After we've done the episode, Desiree wrote the loveliest, it would have made a glass eye weep, the loveliest email to say thank you, um, which was very sweet. Look, one of one for greats and an absolute charisma machine. If somehow you haven't heard of Desiree Birch before, I'm sure you have. If you haven't, you're going to full head over heels so the first time i saw desiree was 2015 funny women final uh i was working at shortlist and stylist magazines at the time uh and when desiree walked on it was just like we we talk about this in the episode um but i i i think i think i could be wrong i think desiree says that Catherine bohart was in the final Catherine was in the 2016 final the 2015 final was desiree winner Sarah Keyworth, this is how, how good that final was. Sarah Keyworth, a great friend of Always Be Comedy, runner-up, Helen Monks, runner-up, and then Maggie Whitehouse, Julianne Meany, Jane Postlethwaite, Tamar Broadbent, uh, Rosanna Bozanac, Sophie Sophie Duca, Kate Kennedy. I mean, the, the Funny Women website is, is it's funnywomen.com, and it, re- and it really is a who's who. Their track record is, Tim, 2018 final, Tanya Moore winner, one of the runners up, Chloe Petz. I mean, it's outrageous. Yeah, it is incredible. Uh, 2016, Bohart in the final. Mickey Overman also in the final. Rosie Jones also in the final. So you, you can go through. Uh, oh my gosh, 2019. <laughs> Tell you what, when I was a little kid, I was like, I was a little Oscar nerd, and I'd always be like, oh my god, look at these nominees. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sort, of, I'm sort of having it now. 2019, Laura Smith winner in the final. Kima Bob, Sally Ray B. Jen Ives. Uh, anyway, he, 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 comedy nerds, Tim and I are very are proudly on that. Uh, we're in that bracket. If you go on the Funny Women website and just go through previous winners and you will, you, your jaw will drop. Uh, it's it's uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, Desiree Birch. Tim, is it, it's fair to say, I mean, we, we've known Desiree as a gig smasher for a good number of years. She, Desiree's one of those people that, that had the Taskmaster bounce as well. Yeah, I think Desiree Birch, she really fits Taskmaster superbly. I think she has such a history of experimental theatre, and it was quite interesting seeing someone bring their stand-up skills and their theatre skills to that show. 
And yeah, she was a perfect contestant for it. Yeah. Also, Desiree's career. I mean, you know, I mean, in many ways, she's she's only just begun. I mean, the the, the Funny Women final was, was only eight you know eight years ago. It's nothing. But what, uh, let me refer, I'll rephrase that. What a career she continues to have. I mean, we again we talk about it on the episode, but like you know, acting performances in the likes of you know we we talk about the Horn Section TV show that she was in the Sandman, the Neil Gaiman Netflix series. Amazing. She was she was in a Christmas movie with Brooke Shields. I remember when she posted that, <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, um, I w- Tim, I would love to be in a Christmas movie with Brooke Shields. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sort of fa- I'm sort of fascinated by that whole uh, hallmark. That there's there's um th- there's a genre of these really warm, cozy, life affirming Christmas movies, and Desiree got to be in one of them. And then as herself. Uh, Rod Gilbert's Growing Pains, Blankety Blank. She's the voice of Too Hot to Handle. Have I Got News for You? Jonathan Ross, Would I Lie to You? Last Leg, Weakest Link, Frankie Ball's New World Order, QR, you know, on and on and on. I've been very lucky that I've got to warm up on the, quite a few of the shows that Desiree has been on. But Tim, I mean, she is a TV producer's dream because she's just one of those people, you know, you, you roll the cameras and she's Desiree's pure dynamite. Oh my God, absolutely. She... Something else she does, she does the prep, as you will find out in this episode. She really puts the hours in. Desiree Birch put in so much prep for this episode that if I think about it enough, I will I will roll a tear. <laughs> we won't spoil it, but I've inadvertently referenced the work by mentioning my love of the Oscars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great, because also... The way she does it means uh, you're going to get a lot of recommendations today. Tim, nicely put, you're going to get a lot of recommendations. If we can, we're going to recommend one person from the episode, and that's Desiree Birch. Now, Desiree is, um, I would say, ostensibly promoting uh, the upcoming series of uh, the, the the Horn Section uh, sitcom, the Horn Section TV show. That uh, season two is coming up shortly Desiree plays Thora and then also if you've never seen Desiree live uh, do yourselves a favor check out next time she's coming to uh, a town near you I bring up Springsteen sometimes in terms of performers who give everything Desiree's one of those people come the end of a set whether it's an hour-long show whether it's a full tour show whether it's a 20-minute set whatever it is she has given I used to live with it when I was at uni I used to live with this Newcastle United fan and he always used to say that all Newcastle fans want from a player is when the referee blows for full time and it's as if their feet are metaphorically, and I, I think he also meant literally, bleeding because they gave everything. And Desiree Birch, if she played for Newcastle United, would be a terrorist hero. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Just, again, a powerhouse performer. It, it comes through through her previous theatre work. She just... Nails it. Nails it every time. The opposite of phoning it in. Yeah, I've never seen anything approaching that with her. Uh, Tim, some wonderful correspondence this week. Uh, so someone who has been our um, pseudo PR, I guess. <laughs> uh, someone who's gone above and beyond in terms of pushing the podcast, probably more than anyone else. Uh, Nuruddin Chowdhury, an incredible writer, uh, journalist, author, Champion of Twitter, you you will probably follow him across the socials. He's bearded genius. 
uh, is often promoting the podcast. Tim, we, we would like to ask uh, him to be to, right. The, one of our dreams is to have is to reach out beyond comedians and have non comedy folk on as well. And I think Noradine should be the the first person to 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 fill to to, to take that role on. Tim, the invites out there. We'd love to have him. We'd love to have him. We will we will hit reply on this email once we finish this intro. Dear respected sirs, long time listener, first time correspondent. First of all, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Uh, there's something beautiful about two people having such a pure and undiluted love for an art form and those who do it well. Your podcast hits the same sweet spot for me as Somebody Feed Phil with Phil Rosenthal, which is similarly enjoyable because the enthusiasm of the host slash hosts is so clearly sincere and devoid of any pretense. It's all from the heart, and I love that. Anyway, I have two questions for you. Firstly, please could you recommend your favourite documentaries series about stand-up, and more specifically, the experience of being a stand-up? Stuff like Hannibal Buress's brilliant Hannibal Takes Edinburgh or Jerry Seinfeld's Sometimes Uncomfortable Comedian. For very different reasons, I regularly revisit John Ronson's Critical Condition episode on critic-turned-stand-up Ian Shuttleworth. Secondly, who, in your opinion, are some of the best dressed comics out there? I don't necessarily mean the most objectively stylish, but the ones who really add to their performances and their on-stage personas through what they wear. Lots of love, and I hope to one day come down to the Tommy Field and experience firsthand what all the fuss is about. <laughs> Noz. Timmy, signed off Noz. That's, that's, that's a sign of friendship. That's such a lovely email. Well, Tim, I, I know. I, so, in terms of best dressed, I imagine you've got one who springs to mind because the the outfit defines who they are. It's part of setting their stall out, and it adds to their performance. Do you know who I'm going to say on your behalf if you don't say it? Go on, Tim Key. It's Tim Key. We can't. Can we spoil what he wears? I, I, f- I think so. He just wears a suit. But, but the, there's, there's, there's a key component, and it's all part of the... I mean, that the, he, Tim Key is a god-tier comedian. I mean, Jesus Christ. The little flourishes, the little bits of physicality, the writing, I mean, everything. It's just... Tim, I, uh, Tim Lewis, I totally get why he's your number one. Yeah, yeah. It's just one rose people who've definitely you've ended up watching a lot and been very lucky to tech a few of his shows and yeah he, you definitely hear his influence creeping in when you're having a conversation sometimes and then the two tims have got such a lovely shorthand that when tim is teching for tim there's even badinage between the two of them that is all part of the act and it's fantastic right sorry noz so but what tim does crucially is He's got the shirt, he's got the jacket, and then as he comes on stage, this is the crucial bit, he's doing up the tie. And it's all part of the act. And it is incredible. And it's all part of setting that stall out. So if you would say Tim Kitt, and he's, the way he's doing up the tie and the tie skew whiff, but it's all part of it. And anyway, it's, yeah, incredible. It, it, Tim, it's it's him saying, I am a, I am a shambles of a guy masquerading as a gentleman yeah he hasn't said a word and you sort of know who he is already it's kind of amazing 
yeah and, and doesn't reference it at all yeah. so i would say i'm gonna go with harry hill yeah someone else i had in mind absolutely because it completely adds to the performance and then one of the staff we did a show with harry last night full work in progress show uh sensational and one of the staff members at the tommy field asked him about his shirts and she said she asked harry about his shirts and he goes i have to have them specially made <laughs> and so and that is such a unique specific to harry thing and it totally adds to the performance and again never references the giant collar but it's him saying this is going to be madcap this is going to be crazy this is going to be silly i can't explain the big collar in the same way that i can't explain all of this silliness but you're going to enjoy it you're going to have fun strap in i know people have compared him to a human version of the beano comic and it's all part of that and the, the badges on the jacket there's the pens in the top pocket immaculate suit albeit with the giant shirt collars and again it totally adds to the performance and it totally adds to the on-stage persona harry hill i've been his warm-up guy for many years dare i say it we're now good friends we've socialized been out for meals <laughs> i love the man uh but i and so i don't say this lightly i appreciate him more and more as a comedian with each passing year and i for what it's worth i think harry hill is a better comedian now than he ever has been in the past and that to me is profound i'm gonna cry i am i'm prof profoundly inspired by harry hill i just his love of the game and his energy and his enthusiasm i just think he is he's in my he, tim he's in my all-time top three now wow and fair play he, i think you know what it might be bridges bridges and harry hill probably scrapping it out for number one fascinating that's great that's great in terms of pure what you would call pure uh i think peter k's called it front of curtain stand-up in terms of someone doing that like observational comedy what you think of a stand-up comedy bridges is is number one in terms of all-round comedian it's harry hill because harry hill he's he's he, harry hill to me is a comedian 24 7 in that when he, even when he's not performing when he's not doing comedy on stage he's still writing funny books he's writing funny children's books he's carving the nolan sisters out of wood he's writing funny plays he's writing funny musicals he's funny just falls off harry hill in a in a way that I've, i can't I, I, maybe not since charlie chaplin is has that been the case uh i cannot get i cannot give enough praise to harry now then documentary series about stand-up now my to be honest with you noz my all-time favorite is one that you've mentioned and it's one that i revisit i love love comedian i think it's absolutely when tim and i meet a comedian and they haven't seen the documentary comedian we're like we, we we can't wait to recommend it yeah it's essential viewing it's it probably i think it is the best one i think it's the best one it's i think it might i think it's just left netflix actually i think it's literally as of this week left netflix i'm afraid but if it comes back you gotta now i don't want to have it taken down by promoting it but there is a seinfeld only cut of comedian on youtube so someone has maybe got around the copyright issue and what they've done is they've done a super cut across five parts they broke it up into like 10 minute chunks uh 
and it's just the Seinfeld bits. There's no, there's no Orny Adams, um, and I, and it's 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 glorious. If you've got to see the full version, but if but in the meantime, there's just a, a like a Seinfeld supercut of comedian. It's fantastic. Uh, now I also had a real soft spot for crashing the Pete Holmes sitcom about the life of a stand-up, and also as someone who did the open mic circuit and who did gigs where you're just gigging to other comedians. Uh, and then in the show, he then becomes a TV warm-up and loves being a TV warm-up. When I was, uh, Catherine Ryan, funnily enough, recommended Crashing. And so I got into it through her. And uh, the more and more I watched the show, I was like, oh God, is, is Catherine saying that? I was, I was messaging Catherine going, hang on a minute, you've recommended my life. Um, that I thought that was that was a really good show. And it's a shame it got, I think it got pulled uh, like with a lot of uh, telly, I felt it got pulled too soon. I think it only lasted for a, a couple of seasons, but I thought that did a good job of a warts and all look at the life of a stand-up. Yeah, I loved Crashing. Crashing was really great. Pete Holmes was probably one of the first American comedians I got properly obsessed with at uni, and he's he's just put a new special out on Netflix. Really good. Crashing. Crashing's really brilliant. It's really joyful. Like, I think a lot of documentaries like show how difficult it is to be a comedian. But I think actually Crashing, whilst it's fictional, really shows how exciting and fun it is. When he's doing the warm-up for the first time and realises he's getting laughs yeah. just from chatting, that, that I can remember that scene so clearly. And also because Pete Holmes is a uh, not just a glass half full guy, but grateful to have a glass in the first place. I really relate to his. <laughs> I really relate to his up upbeat energy. He, that's his. Pete Holmes is uh, is my kind of dude. I also enjoyed, but not as much. I didn't enjoy it as much as other people enjoyed it. The documentary series about the Comedy Store in LA. Some people have talked about that as if it's like their bible, and I. I, th I actually think it's quite flawed, but there's some. But then, as I say that, there is some really uh, prescient stuff in there about the state of comedy right now. And there's a pretty much a whole episode dedicated to comedians realizing that TV isn't the be all and end all. And there's a comedian who has his own TV show, and uh, Joe Rogan. I'll be honest with you, I'm not really a. a if I met the guy, I, I, I'd, have a, I'd have to have a conversation with him. I'm, I'm not like anti-Rogan or anything like that. It's not necessarily my cup of tea, all that, that sort of stuff, as you've probably been able to tell these past few episodes. <laughs> um, however, there, there's an episode where Joe Rogan and someone else explains to someone, you're better off not doing the TV show and you're better off doing your own thing with a podcast. And... Tim, have you seen that documentary series? No, I actually, I need to watch it. I need to watch it. You've told me it's, it's worth seeing. It is worth seeing. Hang on. Here we go. It's called The Comedy Store. Uh, documentary series. So if you if you Google The Comedy Store, it was, I think, do you know what? I saw it on Sky. Um, so if, if you've got Sky, it might still be on there. And there are the likes of uh, Bill Burr, Whitney Cummings, Jim Carrey, and many, many more. I, so the reason why I think it's flawed is that I, I think it's it's so pro 
the comedy store that it's it's almost like an advertorial on behalf of the the comedy store however but i mean you know what i mean if we were going to make a documentary about always be comedy let's be honest we 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 want to keep it positive so I, you know i i do get that um but it, it you know it i think it is flawed because of that however the the stuff about um the stuff that addresses the state of, of comedy i thought that was that episode is is really interesting and then also nikki glazer tells an anecdote where she goes on dancing with the stars and it didn't she didn't really pop that's the equivalent of doing strictly over here and then nikki glazer is a phenomenal comedian by the way and then she goes on the joe rogan podcast and absolute i mean she she exploded on that by going on someone's podcast more than she did by appearing on a huge network tv show now as someone who's 45 years old and grew up you know sat in front of the telly watching all the comedy in the world throughout the 1980s things like that that blows my mind but i'm well aware that anyone under 30 will probably hear something like that and think well yeah obviously but if you've if you've grown up to believe that tv's the be all and end all that as you as you know from uh previous episodes when we chat about this i'm i i find it very exciting the whole uh internet versus telly thing right tim we, we, we better crack on with desiree because i appreciate that even for us that was a long intro <laughs> yeah 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 Let, let's go for it uh here she is a, a very special talent and also a very special dude uh let's welcome the maestro desiree birch before we've even started i'm telling desiree how much she's gonna love this intro we, we're joined today by one of the absolute greats in fact, Desiree, this wasn't going to be part of the intro. First time I ever saw you, Funny Women final, Jesus of Nazareth. It was like watching Lionel Messi for the first time. Someone who has got more TV credits and movie credits than Joan Collins, Liz Taylor, Meryl Streep combined. Desiree, I'm not even going to read out the telly credits because I'm aware that time is limited. But my God, I mean, I mean to be fair, to be to be fair. It takes us nicely into the horn section. Please talk us through that, Desiree, because we saw that you were on that and we were delighted. Yes. What can you share without Alex breaking your legs? <laughs> um, so the horn section TV show series two will be coming out uh, in the autumn of 2023 for whenever this goes out. And it is uh, a show. It's a, it's a sort of meta show about uh, the horn section, Alex Horn's band making a TV show, sort of uh, failing their way into a TV show because they really want one and the commissioners uh, accidentally commission it. Um, and series two kind of sees them uh, trying to deal with um, a certain amount of fame that's come from doing the TV show and and managed to pull it off. I mean, Alex is is mostly trying to deal with the aftermath of what happens to all of us when we get some amount of success and attention. And it's usually a mess. Um, <laughs> there's usually a lot of like some kind, some version of an emotional breakdown that occurs. And then, you know, that's where you get your next shows. Um, so <laughs> there'll be that plus, you know, more, uh, celebrity guests because obviously if you set up that you're a live chat show then you're going to have um, lots of amazing random people both real and not real coming through said show 
Um, I play the de facto producer of that show as, um, you know, Rachel's friend um, who uh, we never see Rachel on the show. She's far too busy. Um, I, however, escaping America and my own personal failures am not too busy to wind up producing his show. And so um, I provide a lot of uh, grounding in reality and important exposition while other characters have just pop off and have good times. Um, so it's, it's fun. I'm constantly putting out some kind of a weird fire that Alex has created apropos of nothing um and uh, yeah it's it's got an extraordinarily talented cast of people you know Alex the entire horn section um you know Tim Hendren and Camille Yukan and Georgia Tennant um and uh, yeah it's just uh, a fantastic bunch of people making you laugh for very stupid reasons I mean Alex Horn you can't say enough great things about him what he's what he means to, to comedy in general, what he's created with Taskmaster, this absolute yeah. juggernaut, yeah. Uh, and then with this with this show. I mean, I would say, I mean, right now, one of the most important, influential people in, in comedy working today. Yeah, I would say so. And he doesn't necessarily walk around like he's uh, owning that or whatever. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's um, I mean, maybe he's owning it, but he's not like, uh, he doesn't, he isn't like a hot mess like you'd expect. <laughs> Basically, for someone who has achieved that much and done that much for comedy, he's sort of a very uh, grounded person, uh, probably because he's always working. I think they're on Taskmaster season 11,000. Um, and, <laughs> you know, still more people coming through and there's always like Taskmaster for kids and franchising it to other countries and the game and the book. And, you know, when you, when you create a format like that, um, that's so refreshing i think purely for me at least as someone who's got a background in uh devised and experimental theater it, it was the thing in comedy that felt closest to my roots um in that way because it is you aren't going to see anything else like that on tv where things are actually happening and i think audiences can feel that this is you know obviously it's been edited they've picked out the things that have had the best results but everything that you see happens, happens genuinely. And everybody can experience that and experience somebody dealing with a circumstance and and um, just how it reveals who that person really is underneath it, um, I think is really, really beautiful. And I think why people are so attracted to it in various different countries and cultures. And then also, I mean, we know this from, um, we did a lot of shows online and Alex did quite a few of them. And so mm -hmm. we, we then got a load of Taskmaster fans via Alex. And then we obviously, including yourself, we book a lot of guys that always be comedy who've done Taskmaster. What I'm getting at in a very roundabout way is this. How lovely are those Taskmaster fans? Uh, just some of the sweetest people. You know what I mean? They're not necessarily always um, the first people to be stand-up comedy fans. They just like the authenticity of it, you know, and just some of the, the the sweetest, most supportive people. And when I go places, people who know me for things know me for being on Taskmaster. And when they say that they liked me on that, I really appreciate it because they liked me, you know, like it was really something that was revealing a bit of who I actually am behind the, uh, the um, public face that I create in my work. I think all of us comedians create uh, a certain persona around ourselves, whether we recognize it or not, or employ one, it's nice to just sort of like show up and be yourself and have people recognize that. Yeah. And also, and I'm, and I'm, I was going to say, I'm not blowing smoke here. I am blowing smoke, but you're 
on stage, force of nature. I've said this to you many times. Absolute hurricane, the charisma, sweet Jesus. But then off stage, you're such a sweet soul. You're such a, uh, a good dude. Yeah. And I think ta Taskmaster is perfect for that because, yeah, we got the, you get the charisma, but then you also get the real Desiree. Yeah, I, I'm appreciative to have been able to find places in my performance life to show that. I mean, obviously, uh, or maybe not obviously, you know, when I say like my backgrounds in theater, like I created four or five different solo shows before I started doing, you know, specific stand-up comedy solo shows. And um, those were really wonderful places to express my ideas and and who I am, or at least who I had been. Right. Because like normally when you're writing about something or at least normally when I'm writing about something, it's something that I've already chewed on enough to have at least partially digested enough to put out there. It's very rare that I'm able to write uh, or talk about things that I'm going through. I'm trying to do that more, but they wind up being a lot messier. Um, the editorial eye is much stronger on things that you've already sort of, you know, gotten over. Uh, but something like Taskmaster is something that you are actually being in real time. So um, for people who appreciate that, they are also good dudes. You know what I mean? They're really genuine, authentic, sweet kind of people who uh, are delighted by the humanity inside of all of us that comes out, particularly when we're at our wits end basically which is what that show will bring you to at some point or another which is delightful you know and everybody involved is delightful you know like greg for all of his sort of like i'm the taskmaster is delightful you know and so much fun and it's like okay like now i'm about to do this to you you know <laughs> it's, it's really it's just a wonderful crew of people. Everybody who works on that show loves working on that show and loves being able to come back on it and is like a genuinely good dude. So I'm always happy to be involved. And thank you so much for all of that smoke. My ass is quite warmed by it. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, like, thank you. Your opinion matters to me. You're a sort of comedy legend in my mind. You're uh, like, every time I'm doing a show, you're there making the audience an actual audience. <laughs> as opposed to just sundry people who got free tickets to be held hostage for five hours inside <laughs> of a studio that's either too hot or too cold, you know? And they're all like, why did we want to see this live when watching it in like a fraction of the time would be so much better? Um, and you make them an actual audience of people who are like, oh yeah, we're enjoying this every single second. And then you like have to shut the hell up in the middle of your joke because we're cutting back to something like navigating the reality of that is a lot harder than it looks, you know? So I hope that you get as much appreciation as you deserve. You certainly created a fantastic room of people who come back because of the environment that you sort of cultivate in there. Oh, mate, bless you. I've heard of the other warmups. I've heard um, complain that, that in the, they're in the middle of a bit and they get told by the floor manager, we're ready to go again. Whereas I always think, I'll come, I'll come back to that whenever I have to, you know, yes. if I'm halfway through a story yeah. and they go, we've got to go again. I'm like, fantastic. Cause I, I might come back to it or I might not. You've yeah. got the luxury of having that in the, in the top pocket, you know? Yeah. And also uh, it's like a callback suddenly, you know, people are just delighted that you're like, so like I was saying anyway, yes! like, ha, 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 already. You get a laugh out of that, you know, like an hour later, you know, if, if it's taken a long yes. time, and then you can go. So there I was at the bus stop. Yeah. And it <laughs> you know? like, yes. Just based on the fact that you've landed in the back there. So there's, there's a lot about a comedy room dynamic that you yeah. just know in an embodied way that some of us have to like 
put that back on when we go and do shows. You know, every time I wind up doing a gig that's like a TV gig or travel or some kind of presenting thing or whatever, I wind up coming back to comedy and then I get all in my head because obviously it's like you haven't ridden a bike in a while and it just feels weird, you know, whereas like you're constantly in flow with your audience. You can bring stuff in there. You can play games with them and whatnot because, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know what the rest of your life looks like when you're not doing warm up for shows and when you're not doing ABC, but like, yeah, I always feel that weird sense of like, oh, hell, like, even if I'm going to do material that I've done before, like, do I even know what this is? Or, you know, and we all get sick of our own material. And I'm definitely in a weird place where so much life stuff's happening that I'm just like, how do I find better ways to talk about it? Because it's super emo. <laughs> You're like, when is this going to be funny? Because right now I just feel like I'm getting hit by waves of it, you know, but I think it will be good later, but in the interim, you're like, let me blow the dust off these uh, apparent gemstones of comedy and try to make them seem like I just experienced them. Um, so, well, well, yeah. Desiree, look, I've got, I've got to say this. Funny Women Final, I, I mean, because of lockdown, years mean nothing to me, so I can't remember what yes, year it was. Yes, of course. Was it 2017? It was 20. It was 2015, but it was toward the end. And then 2016 is when things started to pick up. And 2017 was when I had like a good Edinburgh year. Like well, that, that, that final, I was there. I was, it was the funny yeah. movie final, 2015. I can't remember 2015. Yeah, right. Everyone in the final was terrific. Everyone in the final was yes. terrific. Yes. However, yes. then you you came out and I mean, even, you know what? You walked out <laughs> and so no, something went wrong, didn't it? You tripped yes. over the wire or something like that. Yeah, I tripped and I almost ate shit in front of like all of the King's Place. And then I was like, okay, well, but the here we sign, go. Mate, the sign of a champion and the sign of Desiree Birch and listeners, I, I, I mean, I'm saying I knew like it took some sort of special gift. Anyone in the room who was there, watch Desiree react to that, make light of it, get a great laugh out of it. And they thought, oh, we've got a champion. So something... <laughs> Something had gone wrong. The fact that you ad-libbed how you ad-libbed and then cracked on, the gear was incredible. I mean, the place went absolutely, I mean, it was like it was like something from a Netflix biopic. I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean, that that final was, I mean, that was, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about this like it was the Champions League final. But, but it was a lot of was. amazing comics that we love, like Sophie Duker, Catherine Bohart, Sarah Keyworth. Like there were loads, loads more. Like it was like an all-star lineup. Do you know what I did? When you're naming those names, I didn't realize just how many all stars were. I knew, yeah. I knew it was a strong final. I knew everyone, I knew everyone was brilliant. Um, but when you're reeling off those names, I mean, holy. I mean, what? by the way, what a great year for comedy. Yes. You know, they were the, Jesus Christ. Yeah. They were the guys yes. who were coming through. But um, you, excellent you, graduating class. What a <laughs> great I mean, All throw those hats in the air. What? You know, um, but. <laughs> Was that, for me, that was the moment where I knew, right, okay, let's put, if I could put the mortgage on Desiree Birch, I would do it, I would have done it Amazing. there and then. But was, for you, was that the moment where you, where you were like, oh, hang on a minute, I might have something here? Or was it, was it another time? It was, I mean, like, so because I had sort of, uh, I had, I had a 13 years in New York during which I was doing mostly theater. And, you know, I mean, I think I my first comedy gig was probably at uni, you know what I mean? But like, it wasn't, it wasn't my focus. It wasn't the, you know, and uh, the thing is, 
I would never be able to say what my focus was because I was just literally like doing this, that, and the other, which meant yeah. like a lot of performance art, et cetera. There were lots of things, you know, that you kind of go through. And I was much more of a theater maker and coming to the UK, I had already done um, a theater piece at the fringe and had won a fringe first from a theater piece. But, and I'd been to the fringe two times before doing another piece that like didn't do very much except for allow me to meet friends and get accustomed to the UK, which I wound up moving to in 2015. 15, even though my first fringe was 2009. Um, and I think that because I'd had a good 13 years of everyone being like, you're great, keep going. And like nothing ever happening. Like, you know, I still to this day, am the kind of person that like doesn't necessarily trust I'm getting a gig until the contracts are signed. You know, I don't know if it's going to go out or whatever, you know, like I, I literally, until the check is cashed, I'm like, anything could happen because anything has happened. So I tend to uh, probably because of my own sort of psychology tend to downplay things that I'm doing. So uh, when that went well, I didn't realize how important sort of comedy competitions and awards and reviews and those kinds of things are here in the UK, because we tend to not have a lot of reviews for comedy shows unless you're like, you know, Wanda Sykes doing a, a stadium tour or something, you know, that's going to make the paper. Uh, nothing else like comedy wise is necessarily that prioritized. Um, and uh, we don't necessarily have awards for comedy. You, I, even still, I feel like it's hard to judge. Like you're like, okay, there are people who are good, but they're good in different ways. How do you say one is better than the other when they're doing different stuff? But still we do that and it does make a difference here. So I didn't realize most of the stuff that I've done here, I didn't realize it's import until well after I did it. That goes for Taskmaster, that goes for Apollo, uh, that goes for Funny Women, you know? Like, so I didn't yeah. realize that it would have the impact that it had because I didn't get how much, uh, having done two fringes so far, or I think three, I guess I did, you know, obviously I did Tar Baby in 2015, um, and that had gotten me an award in theater. I didn't necessarily realize how much the comedy industry is there going, oh, here's who we're going to book and here's where all the agents are going to get for their next roster of clients and what that meant. So I didn't realize how big a deal it would be until well afterwards when stuff was starting to come in. And I was just so happy that I was working as a comic uh, because, you know, all of my life in New York, I was working as an educator and, you know, sometimes a uh, tutor and sometimes waitress and sometimes whatever, you know, doing bit this, that and the other, uh, not having sort of art be my main job. Uh, so it was really great for that to start to shift, especially because when I was with my ex at the time, he was really unwell and I needed to work and I only had a visa to work as a comic. So it had to work. So I'm glad that like, you know, having sort of my back against the cliff's edge was the thing that sort of made me go like, okay, do this competition and do these gigs and, and make these shows and really get out there. By the time I got to 2018, I feel like I was rinsed. I think probably because I did Unfuckable in 2017 and that had done so well. And during that fringe, everyone's like, you're blowing up. It's amazing. You're doing it. Are you so excited? And I was like, I'm gonna die. Like I am exhausted. Like there's so many gigs that I'm trying to run around and do and and everyone else can see you better than you can see you and like the impact you're having or what everybody's talking about. You know, every day I was just trying to like 
warm up my voice and get my body ready to do another hour, uh, hint, hint, 75 to 80 minutes. Cause I always <laughs> fucking overrun. Um, and thank God, um, you know, I was doing heroes of fringe and Bob knew me well enough from previous things to put me on at the end, um, or put me on before somebody who was flexible about what they did. Cause they were the last person because, you know, I'm a theater person. So in my body, 80 minutes is the length of a solo show. Cause if you're sure. doing theater, 75 to 85 minutes is the length of a solo show and you have a full arc and whatever. And somehow I need to learn that 45 to 55 minutes is the correct length for a comedy show and not try to make it some theater hybrid, but you know, that'll come with time. Uh, so yeah, I didn't know in 2015 that things were going to crack open. Uh, just like I didn't know in 2017 that things were gonna kind of get that boost to sort of like, being able to do Apollo to headline things like all of that kind of stuff and to have all this work coming in that by a year after that, I was inundated. You know, I was like, oh my God, I'm having a bit of a meltdown. <laughs> right, De uh, Desiree, you're cur you are curating your dream gig. I'll tell you what, I would love to know, do you have any pre-gig rituals? Sure. Um, my pre-gig rituals are mostly down to like what it takes for me to function at a gig. So usually I've got to write the set down. I think even if it's a set I've done before, for some reason, I think partially because I'm not doing stand up every single night. Like, you know, I'm doing some nights and then some nights I'm doing other stuff and whatever. Like, I've just got to make sure that it's all there. It doesn't need to be on my hand, but like, I, it's just the way that I process and remember stuff like taking notes in school. Like I got to write down what I'm doing. And if I'm tweaking anything or doing anything different, if it comes out of my hand, there's a slightly likelier chance that it'll come out of my mouth. So usually on the train, I'm sitting there writing down my set and going looking at everyone thinking like all these people are so much happier than me they're done with their days they're out drinking I've got to go to work and face uh judgment from strangers because it's the path that I've chosen for my life you know all of that stuff I usually will do some tongue twisters because I'm a theater person at heart and also I talk really fast and sometimes words come out not words out of my face increasingly the older I get so I usually will do some kind of a vocal warm-up of like you know just getting my mouth to move around and say the words that I want to say um before I go on um I'll also try to do a little bit of like alternate nostril breathing just to calm myself down because the closer and closer you get to your set the more the heart rate wants to go like and you have to sort of tell your body to stop freaking out about the thing it does all the time but part of its ritual is to freak the fuck out because i'm a secret control freak and to be like you know what like i do have to do the thing like it's not brain surgery it's not rocket science it is comedy like no one lives or dies on whether or not this gig goes well or not well it's going to be fine people are going to have a good time and to try to talk myself a little bit down because i do get quite in my head and i know that probably seems surprising to some of your listeners who are like you've been doing comedy forever and it's like yeah i don't know i talk to other comics and, and it's like oh some people will say like oh yeah i don't get scared anymore when i go on stage or whatever and i'm like great you go on stage a lot i don't get scared in the, like i'm happy to go on to stage but i still start to get like if I could control my body and keep it in some kind of a normal range of hormones, that would be great. But like just so much stuff is pumping out that I just need to kind of slow my breathing down so that it calms my nervous system down and to remind myself psychologically, like 
nobody lives or dies based on this. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Because I, yeah, I just think that, I don't know. I think that uh, a lot of comics come from different places into comedy. Many of us come from weird, you know, either neurospicy places or, um, you know, traumatized places like weird messed up childhoods where we were trying to uh, placate people or engage them or make them notice us or whatever. And um, those, those aspects got connected to the way we create things. And I'm in a phase of my life where I'm trying to de-emphasize those sort of parts of, of myself that are the like impetus to, to create, to like get attention and to, to make people like me and all of those things that used to motivate me as a young person. And that made me realize that I could be funny. And that was uh, a tool that I had. Um, and to try to make it more about, um, you know, being joyful in a space and that that invites other people to also be joyful in that space and to remember that part. It can be really easy to get into a like, oh no, I have to do this as opposed to like, I wanna do this. And like, people wanna hear this that's and so everybody true. wants this to be good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I mean, that's great. That is, that's great advice actually to any any comedian listening. And we all have to remind ourselves, we it's supposed to be fun, enjoy, let's enjoy it, have a good time. That translates to the audience. Um, yeah. Can yeah. I ask you, I mean, this is before the podcast or not, I'm sure people ask you, but you, are someone to me who like swims into a, a comedy room like a fish. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it feels, and I, I feel like because you're always doing it, it, it feels and reads more like that. Do you, like when you go out there to start your show up, you know, and I remember I I used to host this sort of reading series that was like a reading and performance series back in, in New York and Brooklyn. And that was the time when I was creating the most, obviously, because everybody's coming back week after week. So you have to just get out there and try stuff, which for me means the stakes are a bit lower because I'm like, I'm not the focus of this. I'm just here to get people in the mood. Do you know, like I'm the fluffer. I'm trying out new stuff. I'm getting people into the vibe of what this is. And then I'm going to hand this over to people who've got more professional and polished things to say. But like, what, how do you feel every night before you go, you know, and do something? Or is it just seamless? Is it like you just walked in from your car, you said hi to people and you picked up the microphone and it's a continuation of your, you know, life? No, I have to, I have to, I have to get into the right headspace. So the Tommy Field, because we've been doing it for twelve plus years, I th I believe you know I think um, those what would Paul uh, Paul McKenna would call those uh, is it uh, neurolingual pathways, right? Mm. And so because we've done you know I guess well over a thousand shows in there, so I've got so many happy memories in that room. Yeah. So that I guess my body and my brain, at the Tommy Field are going. We've done this so many times. Yeah. So let's get in the headspace. Let's have fun, and then with warm ups. I still wear the long sleeve navy blue shirts and the flat cap. And, and what that does is that's like, that's the closest I've got to putting on a, a costume, yeah. if you like. I've got a specific mm -hmm. pair of warm up trainers. Mm -hmm. So I'm tying those and putting the cap on. And that's my way of switching from dad or whatever, I'm, you know, yeah. or whatever that, you know, you know, real me or <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And then by putting that stuff on, uh, that's that is doing the equivalent of like being in the Tommy field and telling my brain right it's showtime and that's how I'm able to turn into Mr. Warm-up or Mr. MC or whatever it might be so as you can probably tell from that answer 
that is stuff that I've that I've done all the self help, obviously, but um, I take it all very seriously, and th- and that is the reason why I still put the cap on yeah. for for the warm up to get in that zone. Yeah. And I think it's like the reason why you have cultivated, like you can create spaces so well. I mean, a place like the Tommy Field has got so much love and joy in it, like spattered all over the walls. Like it's part of the atmosphere and the spirit of that particular room, you know? And I would imagine in new spaces, it would take a while to build that kind of same energy in that room because that energy is so loving. It's one of my favorite shows to do because you just walk in there and everybody's like happy to be there, happy to have gotten in there, waiting to have a good time, knows that good times have happened in there so many times before and they just want to have the experience of it and it's it's beautiful and everybody's like you know it it let, allows you as a comedian to feel like you can try out more stuff you know just because yeah. there's a lot of love in that room but I also understand the ritual of like the cap the shoes that like you do have to create a threshold that you cross over I think it's a reason a lot of comedians like a lot of female comedians will talk about like oh I put on the makeup it's armor you know it feels yeah. like putting on your pre war armor you know you got to go out there and either kill or die so you better put on some armor and sometimes that's mascara or it's eyeliner or it's a little bit of lips it's something that makes you go like okay i'm going from my regular day in which i can be a person to somebody who's meant to be looked at who knows they're being judged and who is like going to kind of put on the thing to be like okay like i'm in the ring let's go um so i think those things are really important you know whenever you see the stand-up specials where the person just walked in through the alleyway into the theater and then said hello to everybody and then walked on stage and you're like bullshit um either that or i would love to be so comfortable with myself to just walk in from a stage and then like from the street and onto the stage but i'm like that's not what happened that motherfucker knew they were recording a special for there's one there's one special in particular where someone does that and i'm just like fuck off that is not not, and they're chatting with the people in the queue and you're like no Uh no 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 i mean mean, at the top at the Tommy Field, I mean, Tim, you know, Tim has seen this many, many times. I will have to, before the show starts, probably need to be left alone a little bit. I might chat yes. with Tim a bit, but I yes. go over to the sink. I fill a glass of water. All that is part of the process. Yes. Pearl Jam's playing. I'm, get, I'm getting in the headspace. Nice. Me and t- I might tap Tim on the, you know, it, uh, but all of that is deliberate. I'm looking at the crowd. Oh, I mean, I'm sharing a trick of the trade here. Every single Always Be Comedy, we do this thing where we go, the comedy will start in less than a minute. The louder you clap, cheer, applaud, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What that is, that's a canary down the coal mine. That's that's our way of working out how hard that first few minutes is going to be. So when I go, comedy's going to start in less than a minute and you get, ah, it's going to be great. Yeah. But some nights, the comedy's going to start in less than a minute and it's crickets. And it's and that's my way of, that's my way of <laughs> going, Just... right, Tim, I'm going to have to put, I'm going to have to put a shift in here, you know. Um, yes. And but God yeah, bless oh, Tim too for being, it's so nice to have somebody who's there all the time. Like, like when you do Edinburgh's and you've got like your tech person or whatever, and it's just somebody who's on the other end of it, who can walk out with you at the end and be like, yeah, they were rough, man. Like, you know, like it's cause usually it's just you trying to go back and reassure yourself or calling a friend who has nothing to do with comedy to remind you that you're a decent person after you've just died on your ass at a corporate, which I'm sure you do like a billion corporates or even at a regular gig where they laughed, but you know, uh-huh. that was not your best and you feel disappointed in not having been able to deliver it for whatever reason. It's just great to have somebody else who's like grounded in that space and can be like, 
yeah, I don't know. They were a little harder or like they were terrible or yeah. Like, oh, I think it's because you said this one thing and then everyone got weird and you go, oh, okay. That was it. Like, it's great to have that other set of eyes. Oh God. I mean, Tim, Tim is a hero, a hero of comedy, but that is so true. You said, you know, you inadvertently said a word or whatever, or something yeah. was, was taken the wrong way and it can shift the energy in the, you know, oh God. Um, so who, now then, who would, who would MC this gig, uh, Desiree? Look, I, I have like four different options for every single one of these spots. It's uh-huh. so difficult to figure out like how you would structure it. But, um, so I, for people, okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say who, um, my nominees were, and then I will say, I think probably who I would pick. So I love it. Oscar style. <laughs> So, um, and hopefully in the right moment, I will pick the right person, but also, you know, you book gigs all the time and you're thinking about energy. You're thinking of, you're thinking about balance of representation of energy of like the flow of the room, like, you know, what you've had before, there's a lot of it. So, um, so who would be my MC or who would be my opener? Sorry. MC. My MC. Okay. So for MC, the nominees are, <laughs> um, so the nominees are, uh, Sakiza Barnes, uh, Tom Allen, Joe Lysett and, um, Felicity Ward. Um, I, a lot, all these people could headline any single night that you want, but I've like, Tom Allen can host anything. He could host, uh, like we could be in hell for thousands of years and he could host it. You know what I mean? Anything he could host, right? Um, Joe Lysett is an incredibly fun host because like, obviously he's a headliner and super famous, but like, he's also someone who's like gonna try out things that are super fun. And I love the MC slot because it means that you've got all these little spots to try out all these little things. And I love seeing the dynamism in that. Um, Sakiza as well has been doing that forever at Cavendish Arms. And like, she's so, you know, like she's got this uh, wonderful way with in- being inclusive with the audience um, and and just sort of opening up to that. Like from she's when great. I used to sort of MC like, you know, the reading and poetry and whatever nights and whatnot, like you are creating an environment and sometimes you open up to the audience and then you're like, why would I ever do this? This is terrible. You know, like, but yeah. in theater, I did all kinds of audience participation. So it can be really fun, but she's just got this natural way of taking whatever she's given and working it and transforming it. I just, I just love her energy and style. And I think Felicity Ward might be my one of my favorites for emceeing in general. I mean, she could do any part of the show, but like just the energy of joy and delight that she brings to. I just recently did a gig with her at the at Woolwich Works, uh, which is nice just because you're like, oh, it's a South London gig. Um, and, you know, the, as you know, like uh, they're wonderful to do when you live South and they are few and far between. So you're like, oh, that's a great space. And it was such a self-selecting audience because it's a huge space, but everyone's like, where's Woolwich? You know, so the people who come are kind of like local <laughs> folks, but she, you know, and I mean, her, her ethos is all about like, you know, my job when I go out there is to have as much fun as possible because those people want to see me having fun. So they have permission to have fun. And it just, it facilitates a space of something new or extemporaneous or irreplicable happening, which is part of what we go to see any kind of live performance for, you know, like we not only go to see like someone play Freebird, you know, but we go to see like those moments that don't happen everywhere else. And I, I just, 
I love the way that she makes those happen. I remember she opened for Maria Bamford at Leicester Square and I was like, you are on fire. Like I watched her for 20 minutes and I was like, this could be the whole hour, the way she owned the space, the stage. Uh, and, and then just at Woolwich Works, like even she was in the middle of a bit and someone screamed out something from her bit. And she's like, wait, have I said this? You know this one? I'm like, yeah, she's like, I'm gonna do it anyway. You know, like, or, yeah. you know, she would switch it up or just be like, okay, I'm. it doesn't matter if you know it, here it is again, I'm playing Freebird. Um, it just, it just makes it so that the audience and the acts have this permission to kind of do what is going to bring them the most joy in that space. Cause that's what we're kind of coming out for, not only to see someone we saw on TV. So I like, all of these people were like, oh my God, this would be amazing to see them open the show. Like this would just set the mood. But I feel like, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to go with Felicity for this. Like she's just going to, she's going to make that space extraordinarily fun, you know, and, and without the sort of uh, expectation of anything. You know, I mean, the expectation is only fun. It's not like, oh, it's super good or super whatever. It's like you can kind of do whatever. And um, everyone on that show did. So I'm going to go with Felicity for that one because reasons. Great choice. Great choice. Great comedian. Great dude. Who would open the gig? Okay. God, I've so, okay. I have a, just a star-studded list of nominees. Uh, Shazia so, Mirza. Can, can Tim and I just say thank you for the work that has gone into this? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like I was, I was this morning, I was like, oh my God, like I really need to think about who would do the, you know, you're booking a gig, like it's important. People are coming out to really enjoy themselves. And I also like, and then there's so many people that I was like, I wanted to put on here, but I was like, oh, well, we've already got someone like th that energy or I don't, ah, you know, it's a lot, right? And it, yeah. you get to book gigs many nights of the week. I'm like, I got one. I got one chance. There's a lot of people I wanted to put on this gig. That you make it the most of it. It's awesome. <laughs> because I was like, I need some balance. I need some perspective. So yes. So nominees are Shazia Mirza, Tem Renko, Jen Brister, and Sindhu V. Um, again, all of these people are fucking amazing headliners. I would want to see them do 30 so minutes cool. any night of the week. But also with your opener, right? You are looking for that energy. You are looking for that like oh shit, we're shooting for the moon, you know, kind of vibe. All of these people bring it in, in various ways. And like, you know, Shazia, like I remember she opened, um, I mean, she's emceed and opened. I, I remember specifically a gig that we did at Union Chapel um, that was just so fun and delightful. And like, just, you know, like I just watching her in flow is so exciting and she's like you know digging into a thing or or riffing on it or calling stuff back and and everybody feels like they're a part of even, even if they're just sort of staring in awe and and dying with laughter um tim is so refreshingly dark <laughs> and everything so dark does, yeah so wonderful. so gorgeously fearlessly dark you know um and and you know like the 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 amount of time it takes him to say the joke just builds the the tension of it and the darkness and the like i just feel like if i saw him open a show i'd be like oh like anything's game for the show now like and that's what i like i i remember doing i think good ship with him 
a billion years ago. And that's always such an interesting gig. Cause you're just like going, I do, I was like, how did you even get back here, Tim? Because we're on a boat. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like most gigs, uh, in the UK are inaccessible, but like, also you got to get on a boat. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I just, and he had, he had opened it too. And it was just, I was like, it's just a curtain and I'm cackling from behind the curtain, which is always joyful when you like are watching a gig and you hear other people on the gig dying to me. I love that. Um, Jen Brister, again, somebody who has incredible just energy and like ferocity um, in her comedy and a student, and again, should be closing it, but I'm like, I want that energy and that like, that, uh, you know, sort of um, like, like that kind of, um, Aggression is one way to put it, but like it's a comedic aggression up front. Oh, so good. Like so just incredible. Or um, and Sindhu, like Sindhu, I've done numerous shows with. And also, like, not only can she go out there and be super calm and super with the same time, like that, like astute and that pointed and that same energy, but it doesn't, you know, like she keeps it all on a similar sounding level or feeling level where it feels like it feels like a boiling pot that like is like a roiling bubble you know but not like splashing out of the pot it's kind of like this like you know there is an intensity there and a beauty and an intelligence there uh but it's also so it feels so studied it feels so even it feels like listening to like you know a, a really active violin section in an orchestra where it's like so precise and so creating this crescendo but also so elegant at the same time um and like now i've talked all of these people up i have no idea who to pick for the very first one i i guess i'll say god i love all of these people and i also love the backstage vibes that they bring and that's also important with your opener because they're a great hang and you're going to be spending probably the most time with them in the preamble like they're going to get there 30 minutes before and you're going to be chatting to them and that's when you can focus on a chat and talk about what the hell this one's going to be so there's also that aspect to it i mean i don't uh, i mean i i feel like maybe maybe i'm going to go with sindhu because uh, I spend more time hanging out with her than the others. Although uh, Shazzy is a close second because I love her so much and I don't get a chance to hang out with her as much because she's in the Midlands. Um, Sindhu's a great pick, great, great comedian, great dude. Soon as she walks into a room, my heart rate drops by about yes. 10 BPM. Right, you're you just know, like, she's... okay, we're good. Like, <sighs> this is solid, this is good. Okay, so yes. So it's gonna be Sindhu, uh, everybody she's got, else. She's got is... great big sister energy. She really does. Yeah. She really does. And like, I mean, I've been to various places on like tour gigs where it's like, hey, we're on this tour gig or we're staying in this crap hotel. Like, I mean, we got a chance to be in Cape Town right before the pandemic. It was like the last, like we flew back. The day we flew back, our flight got canceled because of pilot illness, which was COVID. Um, they didn't want to say COVID. Like it was, it was early March 2020 was when we did it, you know? Wow. And so we were just, it was before it got bad in South Africa. So it was just kind of crazy, but like, yeah, that was a crazy, it was a wonderful experience, beautiful festival, but also you're in Cape town. So sometimes you're sitting at a bar and a woman starts trying to steal your purse or <laughs> somebody gets held, try to get held up for their trainers. And because there were two people, they just ran in opposite directions and the guy didn't know what to do. So like, it was just like, a little bit wild and woolly, but also amazing. <laughs> um, so like, she's super down. I would love the vibes that she brings to the night. So Felicity, Sindhu, 
already I'm feeling fantastic, which what I guess a, brings what's us- What's a gig? Right? Already, already, what a gig, right? Who middles? Okay, so this is where for my money, what I want to see is things to kind of get funky. You know, like I want that middle act to either, you know, obviously you want somebody solid as a performer, but you, I feel like you also want, I also want something a little bit different, you know, some kind of different taste to it. Again, every single person I named is a damn headliner. Um, uh, but here I have, uh, my nominees are, uh, Dana Alexander, Tom Ward, Lucy Hopkins, who does like clown ritual, beautiful performance stuff and a band man because he is amazing. Rob's amazing. Right. And I want, I want to change the vibes in here. Like Dana, I love because she has performed everywhere on earth. I remember she came out to New York while I was out there and was doing this gig in Brooklyn. And it was just like, like she'd been living there for 20 years. Like she's just that person who knows. And I also love how unapologetic she is about everything that she believes and says and just says it plainly. Like, and I want to see more of her. Uh, she's always touring some other place in the world. And I wish she was uh, uh, like on more things in the UK because she's great. Um, Tom Ward is always so much fun. as Brilliant as comedian. Such a great guy, like really like it loves destabilizing the room in a way that I've seen work incredibly well and fail at the same time. And it's great as a comedian either way. Sometimes I've been like, what are you doing? Like now you're just abusing the audience, but also I can't stop watching. Um, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, like I love him with his iPad and his, and his, uh, you know, Nokia bar phone or flip phone. Cause he's not doing the smartphone thing. Like, I just love everything about it. Yeah. Um, the entire vibe. Um, Lucy is someone that I adore. Who's a friend of mine who creates a space that is now like he, she just transforms the space because what she does is a performed ritual. And I feel like taking a gig from that amount of energy into something that collectivizes the room is so powerful and irreplicable because it just makes the space something totally different than it would ever be with anybody else on it. Um, and Abandon Man is incredible. And anytime people see him, they're just like, I can't believe he's making up a rap off of what I just said in real time, you know, because he's that skilled. And, you know, normally he would be a headliner for any kind of gig. And hopefully he would be, he would lower himself to middle for my gig because I feel like he would just, like that the room is so lifted by the time he's done. That's exactly, I, I like, that's exactly the energy I want to bring uh, the headliner on into. Um, and I want the audience to be like, anything could happen from here, you know? Um, and one so- of the, One of the best live acts you will, you will ever see. Yeah. You know, incredible. Yeah. So I guess- And he's a sweetheart. And he's also the sweetest person. We were in Kilkenny at Kilkenny Laughs and just wound up kind of hanging out and being in the same gigs a couple of times and chatting so nice. and, and yeah. you know, and before that, when I was working on a show, he was like, you can do music in your show. Here's a loop pedal you could get if you wanted to do that. And I was like, I do want to do that, but like maybe not now because it's my next Edinburgh, but I'm also like super interested in how you're, you know, combining these two forms to create something new. So like... I don't know, maybe it would be, maybe it would be Abandon Man, which I think would make people go like, what the hell is this show even gonna be now? <laughs> great, you know, that, I, that, that's great. And as you say, the energy, the love, there's, you know, he's, uh, 
the, the, there were geniuses banded about a lot. I think I think Rob might be a genius. I think he is. He uh, is a genius. Yeah. he is absolutely a genius. I so a, a, a band that the 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 room is is rocking. Who who it really is, is who is closing this this juggernaut? Okay, so I have um, so this one I mixed in some U.S. acts with some U.K. acts. So I have uh, nominees uh, include. Uh, this is the biggest category because all of these people, as I said, are closers. Um, Bridget Christie, Frankie Boyle, um, my good friend Michelle Buteau, who people might know for some, from Survival of the Thickest, um, Ronnie Chang, who people might know from anything, um, and um, Dion Cole, who is an American comic but has a couple Netflix specials that are incredible. Uh, for anyone listening who hasn't heard of him yet, uh, check out Cole Hearted, please, first. And then the other one is named after his mother, and I can't remember the name of it now, but both of them are excellent. Um, and now considering this show, like... So let's see, I've got Sindhu, I've got Abandoned Man, I've got Felicity Ward emceeing it. Damn it. All of these people I wanna see do this show and like bring it home. I feel like, I don't know, with the energy that Rob I can't, has no, left in the room. Sorry, now this ahead. is your pick, this is your pick. And I'm, I'm I, I... But you've got insights from what I've said so far. Well, the word that you used was hang, right? Well, yes. both, no, sorry, we both we both commented on, on, who's, on, a, a on who's a great hang. Yes. I mean, Bridget Christie is almost the ultimate hang. Yeah. So I recently just did, what was it? Was it, um, was it Roundhouse uh, Fest with oh, yeah, her? Yeah. And, you know, she did at least 25 minutes, mostly on being menopausal. <laughs> and even though that's having a moment, it's still quite a niche thing that a lot of people don't necessarily think that they want to hear about. And she had 25 minutes on that. That was so amazing. Oh, she's... Like it was so genius. And she's also yeah. just a, a genuinely kind hearted, inquisitive, like loving human being. Um, so like great hang, like literally afterwards, I was like, can we maybe hang out sometime? Like, Mate. can I ask you on a friend date? Like, you're so cool. And I've been like, I loved your show and I love what you do, like what you just did and all of it. Like, I just want to hang out with you. Like, sh like, and sh she can just talk about things that are so crucial and important, like much like Frankie does, although he comes at it from a much darker perspective, but he is talking, he is like really finding a piercing truth into things. Bridget can do that same thing as well about things that don't necessarily get talked about so easily and, and like build like a, you know, like she, she, uh, within the set where she was talking about menopause and talking about like not being able to remember shit and like created this sort of weird, hilarious loop fugue state within her set, talking about the fact that she and another woman in her fifties were trying to remember what the hell happened and describe it using like the guy with the, you know, no, oh, not the one so who did good. that. The other one, yeah. you're like, this is exactly how our brains work. How did you, how did you make this so deftly into a stand-up set? Like I would love to see her close that, even though everybody there is like, this is like gig of gigs, like you made it into heaven and there's a comedy night. This is that gig, you know, to me. And I, yeah, so, so yeah, I think, I think let's go with Bridget because I think, 
you know, everyone would be like, how, how is anyone going to top abandonment? Bridget, Bridget will find a way to close that show. And Bridget would be going to you. I've got to go after a band of men and you'd be, you'd be reminding Bridget, Bridget, you want to That she's Bridget fucking Christie. <laughs> exactly. Now you get out there, Bridget Christie. Yes. And you, you know, and she'd be like, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know, she's, she's, <laughs> uh... And also a great hang. Also an incredible great hang. hang. Anytime we she walks into a room, oh it's my like God. the whole thing lights up by 30%. It's an exquisite amount of presence that she brings to everything she does. What a lovely, th what a lovely thing to say. You know what we should, uh, I'll email Bridget after this and say that you're right. When she walks into a room, it can be like someone turning the light switch on. Yeah. Where you're like, Oh, I didn't know that there were lights out until you walked in and I realized it was kind of dim in here. And now it's not like, it's, it's wonderful. And I, I, dear God, like literally all the people I named, I'm like, they all bring such a great vibe in different ways to stuff. But like, she has this would be a killer show if we could get everybody to not be on TV that night. <laughs> <laughs> you and her have the same thing, though. When you walk on, everyone in that room wants to be your best friend. You and Bridget both have yeah. that. Yeah, well, good. I, I, I'm fair, honored to even be included that, every, in the club. Everyone because... on that bill has that, to be fair. That is a hell of a night. Yeah, it really, really is. I, I don't know. I would be, like, so excited to go out and buy a ticket and be there and be like, this is going to make my week slightly less shit. <laughs> well, like that's yeah uh, that, that is a dream lineup i'm sort of i'm supposed to be neutral but uh, this is this is this is among the most exciting i've been for someone else's lineup brilliant right i'm just saying i mean again if you could if you could make this all happen <laughs> you know what i mean what we can. the reality is reality but you know we're talking about like um you know yeah in my head this is what i would want to see and i'm such a you know fan of comedy i mean i think you know, like, I think you're the same way where it's like, I'm e very happy to be like, I'm going to organize this and then just watch it. Like if I could make a, a set for my birthday happen, you know, this, this would, be, would it. be it. Now, yeah. has there been an incident uh, from a gig that you would love to somehow replicate at this gig? Um. Oh yeah. That, I, so this is one of those questions that I'm like, oh, it's so easy to focus on the terrible things that happen at gigs. What is a single good thing that's <laughs> there are ever so often there are moments of like oh we did this sort of audience interaction bit that was like worked really well but so many times they can go sideways and you're trying to get it back um I feel like my most exciting things from gigs um are like this is so sad. Um, so things I love when I do stand up. I love when the people from the people who are working security at the venue are like, oh, that was really funny because they see everything. It's like if you make the ushers laugh or the security laugh, you that feel really good about so your life. True. That right? is so true. Right. You think, you, I remember Bill Burr saying, he says, if, when he used to do cruises and he said if he made the band laugh on a cruise, he knew that he'd been funny because they'd seen everything. Yes. I did a warm up last night. Sorry, I'm terrible. Please get in here, it. get in but, here. But I saw the security guards laughing and I, I honestly, I thought, oh, great. That is, you've really hit the nail on the head for me there. That's yes. so true. Because yes. they're the guys that have seen everything, not just everything, they've seen it every, everything twice. Yes. yes. And that that is a lovely moment. You're right. Yes. And they're literally like, we honestly don't even want to be here because we're not even getting paid enough to like, and, and we're supposed to be like, 
So like anytime they're like, that was great. You're like, like you said, making the band laugh, making the bartender laugh, making security laugh. Any of the people who are like, literally fuck this whole night in this whole place. And they're like, yeah, man, that was great. Like those are the most exciting. I don't know. It's just like, yes, I'm getting paid to do this gig, but the real payment was when, you know, like that like sour faced person who I saw on the way in was like, Yo, you're really great. That was awesome. And when you said this, and then they start talking about like, oh yeah, I have a cat at home. And you're like, you have a cat? Like you, hench you? And like, or whatever it is, some random little thing from your gig where they're like, I completely relate to that. And you're like, oh, whoa. Like now you are a person. Now you're an individual human being and not like representative of some kind of monolith. And and it's just so joyful to, to have that happen. I think those are really great. And the only other thing is like when someone after the show catches you in a not annoying way is like, you know, that thing that you said happened, either I dated that exact same person or, you know, like literally I've had people be like, I know that guy you're talking about. And I was like, oh shit. Or like, um, I told my boyfriend, okay. So when I, um, when I did Tar Baby, uh, there was a show about race and capitalism. It was a theater piece, but still it was quite interactive, had a lot of funny moments. I had several instances of after the facts, one of which was someone's like, I see something differently. I, I had an experience that happened after the show that I saw differently because of what you said in the show. And I had, I mean, this is now some Daniel Sloss territory because I definitely had somebody uh, stop dating the person that they brought to the show because after the show, they were talking about the show and then they found out some that the person they were dating had some messed up ideas in their head, that the show helped facilitate them finding out that they shouldn't be wasting like the next six months dating this person. Because, you know, so I love when there's like a real world consequence when someone's yeah. like, dude, you said that thing. And I was like, oh, snap. And then I talked to somebody else and they, they, clearly were the exact kind of person that you were talking about being wrong in this scenario. And that saved me like six months of my life. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, great. Do you know what I mean? Like, awesome. cause obviously you're going to find out that person was bigoted or whatever the hell else otherwise, but yes, entertaining the staff and um, helping people with their lives in very, very small nuanced ways are my favorite outcomes of gigs. Awesome. Now sounds like, sounds like it's some shoes <laughs> from what incident must not happen at this gig that's happened to you so it's um so look there's always like a thing about like hecklers hecklers me were like how do you do with hecklers this and that it's like my least favorite kind of heckler are the positive hecklers because you can't you can't turn on a positive heckler do you know what i mean like you can't silence you can't put aside you can't the people who are loudly and consistently being supportive of what you're saying while you're saying it you're like oh why are you uh, like you are rocking in a way that lets me know you know exactly what i'm talking about like it's drunk people who are like yeah me too and then when it happened to me i did that and you're like this isn't therapy like specifically when I used to do a show called 52 man pickup, which is all like, as a theater show. I talked about all the people I've been in like a various sexual relationships with on a deck of cards. I dealt out the cards randomly. I played card games with the audience. So it was an interactive show, but it was clear when it was interactive and lighting would change. And then I'd go into a monologue that was an interstitial piece and then go back into the audience participation part. You know, it was very delimited. You kind of have to be clear about how you do participation. And like, I've had it be, 
you know, where people kind of keep going and you're like, you're loving this and I love you for that, but maybe deal with your alcoholism before you come to the show. That particular show, a guy came and he was positively heckling me and that he was like engaging and talking to me while I was trying to do the show. And he come with this woman and I was like, is this your boyfriend? And she was like, no, that's my son. This was like a full grown 30 to 40 year old man who was wasted and she had gone out with him to a show that was all about sex very clearly. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But like, also that's your son. And like, you haven't thwacked him on the ear yet or something like, what is happening? So it's, it's positive hecklers. Like, I don't know a better way of calling them, but like they're enthusiastic, but also wasted and not, not reading the room. <laughs> You know, like the room is literally like, please shut up. Like she only has an hour to do this. Like, God, you know, we didn't pay to hear a drunkard talk. We could have done that for free in the bar downstairs. So like, I assume <laughs> you get this frequently at the Tommy field or otherwise where you're like, I can't even shut this guy down because he's on my side, but like not. It's so tricky because you can have someone who they, they can be like, they, they can be such a nice person and they're clearly having a great time yes. and it's, and they're so engaged. So it's, it's almost impossible to rebuke. Cause what, yes. what, what are you saying? Can you stop having such an awesome time? Yes. But, <laughs> but, but at the same time, there are other audience members looking at them as if to say, you are sort of, I know you're having a good time, but you are at the same time, you're ruining the flow of what the comedian is yes. trying to say. And yes. I know it's tricky and, I know some listeners will be, will be listening to me going, oh, oh, in the audience, we're having too much of a good time. And I'm not, I'm not. Do people not... listen to your podcast just to be like, oh, comedians have it so hard. They get to have fun at their job all the time and make other people like them. It must be so hard to get paid for doing that. And they just send you tweets week after week, like, oh, wow, champagne tears. <laughs> so I, I apologize that. Yeah, I apologize profusely. But there, there was a recent show and they were they were so lovely. And as they left the room, I know they'd had a great night, but it's, I honestly, Tim and I, yeah. we, we said, we kept saying to each other through the show, I don't know what we do here. Yes. They were clear. They were clearly an angel. And yes. how do you tell an angel off for yes. having fun? But what, for shining too brightly in a room full of people who are trying to otherwise see what's going on around your lights. Because if someone's, if someone's been a dick, you can yes. shut them down for being a yep. dick. And everyone's and everyone like, thank room, you, Jesus, for shutting this dick down. And everyone, the, and, you're, and, and everyone in the room, is, as you say, everyone in the room there is going, thank you, that need you dealing with. But when someone's having a lovely time, all they're doing is like joining in. Yeah. If you, if you shut that person down, there's also the risk of the whole room going, yep. hang on a minute. The, they, yep. They Even though we hated them two seconds ago, now we hate you for being such a douche to this obviously delightful person that we couldn't stand for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> and you're like, what? What, what what am I supposed to do? Here, I did it for you. What, what do we want? <laughs> you feel like you've just you know punched a puppy in the face, don't pretty you? Pretty much, so. pretty much. But the whole time the puppy was humping everyone in the room. And everyone's like, this is a great puppy. Who doesn't love puppies? But get your dog off of me. He's got a big red lipstick on my leg. Yes. And then the minute you punch that puppy, everyone's like, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with you? You, wrong? you punched a puppy, you monster. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. I, yeah, I, and you're like, can... suddenly now I'm Satan. And like, yeah, yeah, you are. And then you have to go home um, and usually like recover, I guess, which brings us to the end, right? But I mean, look, yeah, what what a night. But the, the last question, how do you, we're both high energy, high energy yes. dudes, so I'm intrigued. How do you unwind after a gig? 
Yeah. I mean, unwind is super real because it, the amount, I, I don't know, cause you do comedy all the time, but do you still like, can you go home and go to sleep? It's a thing that I constantly struggle with. Yeah. And, then, and it's not only getting to sleep, it's waking up too early because the adrenaline is in my system. Mm, so it's waking it up at 5 a.m. wide awake. I mean, that's yeah. maybe you get better sleep because you're sleeping th during the good hours when you're supposed to be sleeping. Because what I do is I come home, you know, if I've closed a gig or whatever it is, I come home, you know, I like the gigs ended at 10. I'm home at 11. I'm going to be safely up until three or four in the morning because that adrenaline is still going through my veins. I mean, you've seen me and it's like, blah, blah, blah. and then you're like super, you know, like high on it. And then you're like, okay, I need to come down. My partner's already asleep because they are a normal human being who's not a weird vampire. And then like, and I'm also <laughs> going to have to wake up tomorrow. You know, I don't understand how we flip from doing that to like, oh, you're going to do this TV gig and we're going to pick you up at 6am or something. It's like, you don't, because for me, I'm like, I'm not getting to bed until four. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to come home. And I used to, I mean, I remember getting a, a membership to a 24 hour gym so I could go burn off the adrenaline. Do you know how many times I did that? goose egg um because i don't want to like i'm not leaving you know still sweaty and being like oh let me bring my gym clothes and then go get on the elliptical now and burn that off that would be functional and it made logical sense in my head and realistically either you had dinner at five or you're gonna have it at 11 like you know like so there's that aspect to it where you're like i'm now i'm gonna go buy chicken and eat it over a box because like this is a comedian's life like i'm not gonna sit down and have like peas and carrots right now because it's 11 or you ate at five and you're gonna try not to be hungry at 11 but then you're gonna wind up being like ice cream so there's that aspect to being a comic that just i mean i imagine anybody who works a night shift like bartenders people who work graveyard like there's just it's hard to have a healthy life because it just by dint of what you do for work nothing is conducive to that right so i usually am going to come home and watch like either play video games which my boyfriend has gotten me into because i guess we're both 13 um and you know like I, but yeah i used to be like oh it'd be nice to have something to do for fun and lose excess energy but then it's just like it's easy to be like unless i set an alarm on my watch i could be there and be like oh no four hours have passed by what happened um but everything is here good here in vice city or whatever you know or yeah. i will watch like netflix and usually like the worst stuff like just something totally like i just had a whole joyful experience so now i'm gonna watch serial killers like i'm literally gonna watch you know a documentary or like uh, i remember the last time i was at the fringe was 2019 it's been a minute i probably need to look at that but i every night that month after i do my show i'd come home and watch mindhunter um just because it was so yeah. different and it was a really beautifully done, but it was just so radically different to uh, the comedy world or to any of the, especially at Edinburgh, the compare and despair that may or may not happen while you're there, all the other stuff that you're doing. It was just like, this feels real, even though it was like a made up series on Netflix. This feels gritty and real. And it, feel, it felt like an escape. You know, sometimes every so often, sometimes I would come home and watch like a Netflix special, you know, because it's like. Sometimes it's nice to watch other people do comedy and be like, oh yeah, I'm part of this beautiful machine, this thing we called comedy, but here's somebody doing something totally different and I don't have to worry about it being me. But routinely it's quite often like, now I'm gonna watch the Murdoch murders or something like that, which yeah. is like 
why, but somehow it feels like the opposite, you know, of the high energy thing is this super dark, like people get killed in messed up ways, you guys kind of vibe, you know, or maybe it'll be like, listen to an audio book or something, but it just needs to be like a different energy, different you know, vibe, different energy, start calming it down there. Definitely anyone who's listening, healthier ways of dealing with your adrenaline spike than this. I don't recommend you consume a lot of death, uh, but you know, it's it, whatever you're into, you know, like, I'm just like, this is, I know this is bad, but like everybody has their junk TV. And for me, it is like true crime shit or like documentaries or something rather than like, let's watch this house makeover or whatever. Everybody's got their version of it. I'm just like, I'm going to consume garbage. I'm going to eat chicken and I'm going to watch murder. <laughs> and I get to do that because I just need something for my brain to kind of like go, okay, all right. I think I need to go to bed now. You know, like I need to yeah, shut it off. There's somewhere. something in that. And it's just, it's a weird downer. I feel like I would love to end the show that we're recording now with something a lot more positive. Like I come home. And I listen to an hour long Tara Brock meditation <laughs> while I'm slowly, you know, gathering my chi and bringing down, regulating my nervous system. But really I'm plopping on the couch, picking up a controller uh, and either watching murder or committing it in Grand Theft Auto or uh, Assassin's Creed. Well, I'll say this to bring the mood back up. Tim and I will give you, would give you a round of applause for one of the great podcast appearances. Desiree Birch, thank you so much. Uh. What a delight. Uh, huge and heartfelt thanks to the great Desiree Birch. Tim, I know I've been talking so much about this Funny Women website. 2014 winner, Jade Adams. One of the runners-up, Lauren Patterson. Robin Perkins in the final. Massive dad in the final. 2013. Right, I'll, I'll stop it, but check it out. Like, 2012, Amy Gledhill in the final. Amazing. That's so Gabby cool. Best, winner. Suze Kempner, Variety Award winner. Sophie Hagen in the final. In, yeah, just ridiculous. Yeah, there's going to be three or four names in every category at least. Yeah, astonishing. Uh, Kerry's also in that final. Uh, Lucy Montague Moffat, that pair. Viv Groskopf, I mean, bloody Nora. Wow. 2009, London Hughes, winner. Amazing. Jesus, wet. Uh, yeah, I mean, kudos to... Uh, Funny women. Uh, right then, Desiree Birch, favourite memory, Tim. Well, sorry, uh, sorry. the reason why uh, I've got the website open is because my favourite memory is the first time I saw Desiree Birch. It was uh, it was that star is born moment. <laughs> yeah, uh, can't say fair on that. Really good. My favourite memory is, you know, it's, it's her and Taskmaster. I just thought, because I'd seen her on st do stand-up, multiple times always great i remember a particularly great set she did a bush hall um yeah i think she's really was always great but then taskmaster it's just great seeing everyone take notice of how brilliant she is and just the taskmaster fans really take her to heart yeah it's been really cool and as you heard on the episode she talks so warmly about the experience and we talk about those taskmaster fans i mean we i mean we we also have to say thank you to those guys because I, I think a lot of our audience, both podcast and gigs, I think we have a lot of toss, uh, <laughs> a lot of Taskmaster dudes. 
Yeah, absolutely. We we've worked with Sam Campbell a lot recently, who's currently absolutely nailing Taskmaster. And yeah, it's really cool to see how excited everyone gets to see him come on stage. And the amount of work we've done with uh, Wozniak as well. Historical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right then, Tim, thank you as well. Oh, but we've not even said five-star reviews. God, God bless you. Please keep them coming in. Oh, it helps. Sharing the episode. The team, that's always becomedy.com. Please keep the correspondence coming in. Tim, I think we can say that the run today, Desiree Birch, next week's guest, week after, we're very excited. With we, we, There's quite a holy trinity of stand-up, uh, of comedy titans coming up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 we've recorded some real classics recently. It's got, it's, maybe it's a bit arrogant to call it classics, but some very good episodes. Yes, as with Desiree, the next week's episode is a huge Always Be Comedy favourite. But Tim, have you ever met a more self-deprecating person? <laughs> no, I really haven't. He's the, the worst for it, but that's why we love him. To listen to him... You would assume he was the biggest hard luck story. <laughs> if you ever read the Beano, you think he was like Calamity James in the in the Beano. Yeah. You wouldn't realise that he was as beloved as he is. And we better leave it there, I suppose, for fear of spoiling it. But um yeah, it's uh strap in. Tim, that's one of those that is a, a, that for you is a joy to edit. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of laughter. Uh, thank you very much as always. We, we love you all. We're very grateful. Huge and heartfelt thanks. We'll hopefully see you at a gig uh, in the coming days, weeks, or months. Uh, and then he said something like, keep on laughing. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Oh, God. Great. Now I've got to have a hot shower. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, take care, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye 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 bye. <laughs>